Chapter 8 of The Wyvern Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wyvern Mystery by Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu. Chapter 8 Never Did Run Smooth. Swiftly she went to the window and raised it without noise, and in a moment they were locked in each other's arms. "'Darling, darling,' was audible, and, "'Oh, Rye, do you love me still?' "'Adore you, darling, adore you, my little violet that grew in the shade, my only, only darling. And I have been so miserable, oh, Rye, that heart-breaking disappointment, that dreadful moment. You'll never know half I felt, as I knocked at that door, expecting to see my own darling's face, and then I could have thrown myself from the rock over that glen. But you're here, and I have you after all, and now I must never lose you again, never, never. Lose me, darling, you never did, and you never shall. But I could not go, I dare not. Every fellow you know owes money, and I'm in that sorry plight like the rest, and just what I told you would have happened, and that you know would have been worse. But I think that's all settled, and lose me. Not for one moment ever can you lose me, my beautiful idol. Oh, yes. That's so delightful, and Rye and his poor Violet will be so happy, and he'll never love anyone but her. Never, darling, never, and he never did. Never, of course, never. And I'm sure it could not be helped, your not being at Carwell. Of course it couldn't, how could it? Don't you know everything? You're my own reasonable, wise little girl, and you would not like to bore and worry your poor rye. I wish to God I were my own master, and you'd soon see then who loves you best in all the world. Oh, yes, I'm sure of it. Yes, darling, you are. If we are to be happy, you must be sure of it. If there's force in language or proof in act, you can't doubt me. You must know how I adore you. What motive on earth could I have in saying so but one? None, none, darling, darling, Rye. It's only my folly, and you'll forgive your poor foolish little bird. And, oh, Rye, is not this dreadful? But better, I suppose, that is, when a few miserable hours are over, and I gone, and we happy, your poor little Violet and Rye, happy together for the rest of our lives i think so i do all our days and you understand everything i told you everything yes about tomorrow morning quite the walk isn't too much oh nothing and old dulcibella shall follow you early in the day to dronton you remember the name of the house yes the tansy well quite right wise little woman and you know darling you must not stir out quiet as it is you might be seen 
It is only a few hours caution, and then we need not care. But I don't want pursuit and a scene, and to agitate my poor little fluttered bird more than is avoidable. Even when you look out of the window, keep your veil down, and and just reach the Tansy house and do as I say, and you may leave all the rest to me. Wait a moment. Who's here? No, no, nothing. But I had better leave you now. Yes, darling, it is wiser. Some of the people may be peeping, and I'll go. And so a tumultuous good night, wild tears, and hopes, and panic, and blessings, and that brief interview was over. The window was shut, and Alice Maybell in her room. The lovers not to meet again till forty miles away, and with a throbbing heart she lay down to think and cry and long for the morning she dreaded. Morning came, and the breakfast hour, and the old squire over his cup of coffee and rasher called for Mrs. Durden, the housekeeper, and, said he, Miss Alice, I hear, is ailing this morning. Ye can see old Dossabella and make out would she like the doctor should look in, and would she like anything nice for breakfast, a slice of the goose pie, or what? And send down to the town for the doctor, if she or old Dossabella thinks well of it. And if it should be in church time, call him out of his pew, and find out what she'd like to eat or drink. And with his usual gruff nod, he dismissed her. "'I should be very happy to go into town if you wish, sir,' said Charles Fairfield, desiring it would seem to re-establish his character for politeness. And I'm extremely sorry, I'm sure, that poor Ally, I mean, that Miss Maybell is so ill. "'You won't cry, though, I warrant. There's people enough in Wyvern to send of her messages without troubling you,' said the squire." The captain, however fiercely, had let this unpleasant speech pass unchallenged. The old squire was two or three times at the foot of the stairs before church time, bawling inquiries after Miss Alice's health and messages for her private ear to old Dulcibella. The squire never missed church. He was as punctual as his ancestor, old Sir Thomas Fairfield, who was there every Sunday and feast day, lying on his back praying, in tarnished red, blue and gold habiliments of the reign of James I, in which he died, and took the form of painted stone, and has looked straight up with his side to the wall and his hands joined in supplication ever since. If the old squire did not trouble himself with reading, nor much with prayer, and thought over such topics as suited him during divine service, he at least went through the drill of the rubrics decorously, and stood erect, sat down, or kneeled, as if he were the ordained fugleman of his tenantry assembled in the old church. Captain Fairfield, a handsome fellow, notwithstanding his years, with the keen blue eyes of his race, a lazy man, and reserved, but with the hot blood of the Fairfields in his veins, which showed itself dangerously on occasion, 
occupied a corner of this great oak enclosure at the remote end from his father like him he pursued his private ruminations with little interruption from the liturgy in which he ostensibly joined these ruminations were to judge from his countenance of a saturnine and sulky sort he was thinking over his father's inhospitable language and making up his mind for though indolent he was proud and fiery to take steps upon it and to turn his back perhaps for many a day on wyvern the sweet old organ of wyvern pealed and young voices swelled the chorus of love and praise and still father and son were confronted in dark antipathy the vicar read his text from holy writ and preached on the same awful themes the transitoriness of our days love truth purity eternal life death eternal and still this same unnatural chill and darkness was between them moloch sat unseen by the old man's side and in the diapason of the organ moaned his thirst for his sacrifices evil spirits amused the young man's brain with pictures of his slights and wrongs and with their breath heated his vengeful heart the dreams of both were interrupted by the vicar's sonorous blessing and they shook their ears and kneeled down and their dreams came back again so it was sunday better day better deed when a smouldering quarrel broke suddenly into fire and thunder in the manor house of wyvern there is we know an estate of six thousand pounds a year in a ring fence round this old house it owes something alarming but the parish village and manor of wyvern have belonged time out of mind to the fairfield family a very red sunset ominous of storm floods the western sky with its wild and sullen glory the leaves of the great trees from whose recesses the small birds are singing their cheery serenade flash and glimmer in it as if a dew of fire had sprinkled them and a blood-red flush lights up the brown feathers of the little birds these fairfields are a handsome race showing handsome proud english faces brown-haired sometimes light sometimes dark with generally blue eyes not mild but fierce and keen they are a race of athletes tall men famous all that country round generation after generation for prowess in the wrestling ring at cudgels and other games of strength famous too for worse matters strong-willed selfish cruel on occasion but with a generosity and courage that make them in a manner popular the character of the fairfields has the vices and some of the better traits of feudalism 
Charles Fairfield had been making up his mind to talk to his father. He had resolved to do so on his way home from church. With the cool air and clearer light outside the porch came a subsidence of his haste, and nodding here and there to friend or old acquaintance as he strode through the churchyard, he went a solitary way home, instead of opening his wounds and purposes then to his father. "'Better at home, better at Wyvern. In an hour or so I'll make all ready and see him then.' So home, if home it was, by a lonely path, looking gloomily down on the daisies, strode Charles Fairfield. End of chapter 8